Well, I, I've got a new show I'm dying to tell you about. Of course, it's Canadian, because all good shows are. And uh, it's, um, it's science fiction. It's on Netflix. It's called The Travelers. And the tra- it's a terrible name. You'll probably forget it. You probably forgot it already. But The Travelers. And, and what it is, it's, it's kind of an old trope that you've seen a million times before of people who've come back from the future. They've time-traveled, and they're going to save the world from disaster. Okay, that's given. The neat thing about the show is the way they travel in time. So they don't they get into a machine and zap, appear out of nowhere. Their consciousness is taken from their body way in the future, and it is put into a, the person who's just about to die. And so they're not you know, killing anybody. This person's about to die. They know exactly when they're going to die. And 10 seconds before their death, they get a big headache, and then there's somebody else. And then they don't step out in front of the car or whatever they're going to do to kill them. And so it's fascinating. The fascinating thing is, I mean, there's the boring stuff about, you know, blowing up asteroids before they hit the earth, blah, blah, blah. But the cool stuff is that they are in a body of somebody they don't know, but nobody else can tell. And so they have to find out who they are. And they have to figure out what they do, and they have to figure out how to do it. And one of the characters, he, he was a very old man, evidently. We know nothing about the world it came from. But he, he gets zapped into the body of a 17-year-old athlete. athlete. He's a quarterback. And so he wakes up in the morning, he's like, wow, this feels awesome. He's got all this energy, and he's like running around, and he... Uh, you know, he's eating all this food that he hasn't been able to eat, and he, he just feels things that he hasn't felt in decades. And then they give him a football, and it's like, are you ready to start playing football again? And he has no idea how to throw it, and so he gets cut from the team. But that's okay. Like, he, he, he is finding out who he is. Uh, the reason why I think that is helpful is because I really wanted to tell you about it. And because, um, mm, that landed flat. Let's try that again. Oh, well. Um, the thing, reason why I think that's helpful is because something similar happens to you when you're born again. Uh, a new spirit comes into you. Your, your old person dies. Your old person is crucified with Christ, and you have a new spirit. And it's, it's you, but it's a new you, and this new you has to figure things out, has to figure out who you are, has to figure out what you're supposed to do has to figure out how to do it. And the Apostle Paul, we're getting to the end of Galatians here. Uh, we've, we've made it through five chapters out of six. I mean, it started back in September. And we're getting here to the end. And he has spent the first five-sixths of the book telling you that you're new. That, that your sins have been taken away. That you are in the righteousness of Christ. That you are wearing Christ's clothes. And, and you are beloved just as if you are always perfect in him and and you're supposed to live out of that and you're not supposed to try to earn it you have God's absolute love and praise and 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 approval you don't have to earn it and so now he turns to us and says and this is how you're supposed to live out of who you are live out of who you are and this is how you do it how do you live what are you supposed to do you're supposed to love each other. You're supposed to bear each other's burdens. How do you do it? You do it in such a way to enable them to bear their own. So please stand as we read about who we are, what we do, and how we do it. 
from starting with the last two verses of chapter 5 and then reading through the first five verses of chapter 6 of the book of Galatians. Please hear the word of the Lord. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. We are new in Christ, called to love each other in a way to make each other complete. Present each other complete. Uh, First thing I want you to see is who we are. Paul tells us that we have to be very careful about that because our flesh nature is still always alive. And it's always trying to, to wiggle its way back into our consciousness and make us depend upon who we are according to the flesh, who we are according to our, our efforts, who we are according to our reputation. It's trying to, to call us back to that old identity. And, and, and who we are is a, is a never-ending question. I've got bad news for you, teenagers. You never outgrow it, right? It, it kind of starts. That question of who I am begins the first day you comb your hair. Before then, you live in blissful ignorance, right? You just run to school, hair doing this, you know, pants unzipped, and nobody cares. Life is good. And then all of a sudden you get self-awareness. And that's terrifying. And you begin to comb your hair and dress and talk and act like the people around you so that you'll feel safe. And when you're a teenager especially, you have this group of people that you dress, talk, and act like in school. And the ones you do it, your family, and you talk, dress, and act like them at home. And then you have your group at church, and you talk and dress and act like them. And You have the kids on your team, and you talk and dress and act like them, and you become schizophrenic, always changing your identity to be around the people you're around. And and the bad news I have for you is that never changes. It never changes. We're always trying to figure out who we are, who we are at work, who we are at home, who we are at church, who, who am I? It's this haunting question, and it seems to never get settled. The traditional answers are failing us more and more. The traditional answers had some anchors, and even those anchors are being eroded, right? I mean, I used to be able to say, who am I? Well, I know I'm a man, and being told to act like a man meant something. That meant some bad things. I would say 50-50, right? There's bad and good things about being a man, but I knew what it required. I knew what it meant. Now, those, those things are being questioned uh, with, the, with the changes in technology and equality at work and, um, you know, 
what, what, what do men have? They have arm strength. That's almost never helpful. Right? And so we're, we're kind of losing the differentiation. Um, well, the, the other traditional ways we defined ourselves were by relationships. And, and those are always changing. That's what we're finding out. Um, nobody told us that, but they're always changing. One of my, one of my good friends, he had a great relationship with his dad. Uh, he lives in Arkansas, and um, his dad died about five years ago. And he's really been kind of a C ever since. And I, I talked to him not too awful long ago and asked him how he was. And he, he sent me a text back. He said, honestly, I just don't know how to do life without my dad. And it was a great relationship, and they were close. And now he, and he defined himself as, as son. And he can't define himself as son now, and he feels lost. Some of us define ourselves as parents. I had this painful conversation very recently. You know, someone who's been my age, right? And, and I've been a parent for 25, 26 years. And all of a sudden, that definition doesn't mean what it used to mean. And I'm kind of lost. Who am I? I don't know what to do if I don't know who I am. And the Apostle Paul warns us about it. He says, don't be conceited. Don't be conceited. That's an interesting word. Uh, to be conceited, he also he brings it up again, uh, the same idea in verse four, in verse three, where he says, "If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself." Uh, to be conceited is to is to have pride in nothing. Just to have pride in nothing. It, the old uh, King James version said it really well: uh, "Vain glory." Vanity, right? The old old word for just emptiness, for nothing, just complete waste. And but but to take glory in it, to glory in your nothingness, and that is a beautiful description of so many people, right? They you take glory in uh, a car that's going to be in a junkyard in a number of years. You take glory in a body that is wasting away every. Day. You take glory in accomplishments that nobody else even cares about or that will be forgotten tomorrow or the next day. And we're, and we're looking for something to take glory in. And Paul says it's, it's nothing. He's got this good news, bad news relationship with us. All those things you take glory in, they're fading away. They're fading away. That's the bad news. And when all you know is the bad news, it kind of leaves you in this funk. Right? I've, I've been in that funk so many times. I remember living in, uh, in my dorm room as a freshman, and um, I was packing everything up, and my brother came and got me, and we left. It's kind of weird. He, he didn't get to town when he was supposed to, so it was, it was like 10 o'clock at night when I drove off. And I just remember driving off in the dark thinking, if I don't come back in the fall, nobody will know. Just this lonely funk. Uh, Donald Miller, in his book, Blue Like Jazz, describes it as feeling like a piece of lint at the center of the universe. Like The, the world's about me. <laughs> Somehow, I know I'm the star of this show, 
And yet, I seem to have no value. And Paul says, no, that's not it at all. You are a piece of lint that is loved. And because you are beloved, because we are brothers, because we are in Christ, we have enormous value. You have value, but not in all those things you think you have it in. You have value because you are loved, because Christ has given himself for you, because God, the Lord of the universe, loves you so much that he gave his own son for you. You are new in Christ. All that other stuff, it's all gone. It's dead. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that mean? It means that that Christ himself became that nothingness for me. Uh, I love that text that we use for the the, uh, call to worship. You know, have this mind in you which is in Christ Jesus, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who being the very form of God, emptied himself, became nothing for you. For you. And that gives you such weight and importance and value. I mean, your value is literally, if we were going to be as capitalistic as possible, your value is literally what someone would pay for you, right? That's that's the definition of value in America. What someone would pay for you. It's uh there's nothing intrinsic. Everything is, you know, based on what what you can sell it for in the open market. I, uh, I put together a new bed last night, which means I have a king-size bed in my garage. A king-size bed in my garage that 10 years ago I paid a lot of money for. But what's it worth? Well, it's worth however much I can convince you to pay for it, to take it off my hands. Honestly, it might be in a dumpster soon, right? It's worth what somebody will pay for it. I mean, I want you to believe that because I want you to understand that the Lord of the universe paid his son for you. And if you feel that, then you know what it means that that this all these other things that used to take glory in, yeah, I'm dead to those now. I am alive in Christ who lives in me. Because the, the Son of God, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you believe that, that makes you confident. If that if you believe that, that gives you poise. It gives you the freedom to to walk around the world proud of your dad bod. I, I love dad bods. I love I love the whole joke. I love the whole joke meme life realm of, of making fun of dads in a positive way. I don't know, it's it's kind of interesting. It's it's funny to me. It's like this uh, this group of people who tell cheesy jokes. I love dad jokes. I love I love all of it. Not just because I'm a dad, but there's something about this these guys that, that we're making fun of, and they know their jokes aren't funny. And they know that their bodies aren't attractive. And they know that they're really not supposed to be wearing blue socks with white shoes. And they don't care. Because they're married. And they have children. And they want to watch their children play sports or sing or play an instrument 
or do a dance that nobody else in the world cares about, but to them it's the only thing that matters, and they don't matter. And I want you to live your life with that kind of confidence that what everybody else in the world doesn't matter. Whatever, I'm sorry, what everybody else in the world thinks of you doesn't matter. Because, because the Lord is crazy about you. And that will give you confidence. That gives you poise. That gives you the, the confidence to do very hard things. And the hardest thing we have to do as believers is confront each other. Is take care of each other. And that's who we are. So what do we do? What do we do, Paul? You bear each other's burdens. Specifically, if anyone is caught in the transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? He, he just told you, but it's been a few weeks. Uh, Galatians 5, 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to bear each other's burdens. That means we live our lives not so self-aware and, and, and so worried about what everybody's thinking about us that we're just, you know, we're just prone to distraction and driven to, to shame and driven to, to fear. Every time we walk into a room, we're so worried that people are looking at us. No, we're, we're free from that stuff. We got dad bods now. We're in Christ. And when we walk into a room, we're aware of other people. We're able to look around. We're able to see other people and, and hear other people and feel other people. And we're able to help them bear their burdens. We, when, when someone is in sin, we, we're able to come up next to them, not in a, in a spirit of, of arrogance that looks down upon them and, and makes them feel even worse, not in a spirit of fear and, and envy that makes us look up to them and we're afraid to tell them that they have mustard hanging from their chin because they may not like us as much. But we're just able to look across at them and love them and say, you're not, what you're doing is harmful. The way you, way you talk to your wife isn't helpful. The way you are living is going, to a, a, is going in the wrong direction, and you know that. The thing about correcting each other, the thing about restoring each other is the other person always knows. It's not like you're going to walk up to somebody and go, did you know you committed adultery? I did? They know. What they don't know is how you're going to respond. They don't know whether you're still going to love them. They don't know whether you're still going to accept them. And whether you're going to make them feel worse and, and live in shame or whether you're going to do the, the good southern small town thing of just ignoring it completely. Are you going to gently restore them? That's the goal, restoration. To, to be able to live a life in such a way that you know I care for you and you know I love you and because I love you, I want you to live. Because I love you. 
I want you to thrive. I want you to be what Christ has called you to be. That's what it means to restore each other. That's, we, we see each other and we know each other. I, I love the way Jesus lived his life seeing people. Think of him on the way to Jerusalem. He's, he's going to get crucified. He's, he, they don't, nobody else knows that, though. They all think he's going to be crowned, and they're, they're surrounding him, and they're waving palm branches, and they're singing in his ears. And he's, he's on this road, right? He's coming into Jerusalem, and he stops. It's like a, it's, he's, it's like a caravan coming into town. It's like Tiger Woods driving in from the airport to Southern Hills. Um, last last May. And there were literally people hanging from fences and, and climbing up on trees to get a glimpse into the car to see Tiger Woods. But the difference is Tiger didn't see them. He didn't care. But Jesus saw them. And as he's walking, he stopped. And he looked up at a tree, in a tree, and said, hey you, I want to eat with you today unbelievable. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Tiger Woods stopping his car and getting out and going to talk to one of these kids hanging from a fence? Hey, let's go eat today. And that's, that's how Jesus lived his life. And he is in us. So that the people we're passing all of a sudden become more important than where we're going. And we can stop and see them and hear them and give ourselves to them. And, and we live that way. We live aware of other people. That means, that means being aware of your, your friends who struggle with, with self-loathing and, and you're well, willing to, to shoot them a text if you haven't heard from them in a couple of days because you know they're never going to text you. They won't. And you can say that all you want. Hey, if you're ever having trouble, just let me know. They never will. Do you know them well enough to reach out to them? That's the problem. See, it takes confidence to send out a text and say, hey, I'm having a hard day. Nobody does that. Do you know them well enough to reach out? Do you know them well enough to help them bear their burdens? And then how do we do it? What's the, what's the end goal? How do we do it? This is fascinating. Listen, look at this text here because it, it sounds like it contradicts. And we would say that it definitely clearly does contradict except, you know, Bible and all that. And we don't think that is possible. So look at this. Verse 2, plus it would just make no sense. Plus to, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5, each one will have to bear his own load. Isn't that fun? Don't you love that kind of stuff? I love those kind of puzzles. This one's not hard enough. It's actually pretty easy, but it's fun anyway. What, what's the goal? What's the goal in helping somebody? The goal in helping someone is to get them back to a healthy place so that they don't need you. The goal is to get them back to a place where they can carry their own weight. It's it's coming alongside them for a time and giving them the tools they need and the encouragement they need and the perspective they need to be restored so they don't have to lean upon you forever. And that's why you have to, 
You have to ask them what they want, and you have to be always encouraging them. You can't be just listening. Sometimes the temptation is just to listen to the story, the same story, over and over and over. And it kind of makes you feel good because you're being needed, and it makes them feel good because they're being heard, and nobody's going anywhere. Sometimes you have to ask, what do you want? Oh, the way Jesus did that. Seems kind of annoying even when you read the stories, right? He's coming, he's walking into Jerusalem, a blind man, man's been blind for 50 years, starts yelling at him, clearly blind, he's clearly, you know, begging, he's got his alms cup out, he's got his cane out, and Jesus walks over to him and says, what do you want? Well, it seems obvious, but he made him say it. I love that he made him say it. What do you want? That's a good question. What do you want? Do you know? And then he gives them commands, you know. Go wash your eyes out. Go uh, go take up your mat and walk. He, he Now, obviously, being the all-powerful Lord of space, time, and dimension, he's got abilities you don't. It's a little bit easier for him. But it's still a pattern enabling people to be okay. When I was in college one Saturday night, I was lonely. And bored, and I don't like either one of those two things. Those are my two least favorite things, actually. And I called my campus minister up. It was a Saturday night. I was just an idiot, right? 21-year-old, pathetic child. And I, as I called my campus minister up, I said, hey, you want to hang out? And he said, um, Ricky, I think it's time you learn that it's okay to be alone. Ooh. That's not what I wanted. See, don't you rather have this relationship where I need you and you get to be the hero who comes in and saves me every week? Wouldn't that feel better than making me be independent so that I can bear my own load? I, I love, I, I, I want to be that kind of church where people come when they are broken so that we can heal them. We don't want to only be the kind of church that people come to when everything is going right. I, um, several years ago, back when we were still at the 8th grade center, oh gosh, that was a long time ago, so it was like 2008, um, a guy here in town uh, was, was kind of explaining to me why he would never come to our church, which is Funny, but if you knew him, it kind of fits. And uh, he said, "Let me. You want to know what kind of church? I, how I evaluate you?" And I was like, "I would love to know. Sure. Actually, I don't, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me." And he says, "Well, if I wanted to hear really good preaching, I'd go to Fellowship Bible." I was like, okay, got it. Thanks. That was helpful. If I wanted to go, if I wanted to, you know, really worship in a place that does it right. All these things he's telling me. I'm not a good preacher and we don't do it right. Um, I would go to Bethel Baptist. Great. But if I screwed my life up beyond all repair, I think I'd come to your church. I just thought, I'll take that. And I hope that's what we are. I think that's what we were. I think that's what we have been and what we're striving to be. Because I don't want anybody to walk in the door who doesn't understand that you don't come to church here unless you realize you are nothing 
and yet in Christ you are everything. And because we know that, you're willing to let us bear your burdens. You don't want to go to somebody who's just going to make you feel worse. You're willing to let us bear your burdens. And you're willing to help us bear ours. And you're willing to walk alongside us so that we can be healthy. Ray Cortese tells an illustration, tells a story about the uh, airborne rangers. He said their, uh, their motto was, we go out together, we fight together, we return together. And if we don't return together, we won't come back at all. And he tells a story about seeing them finishing up a a 20-mile hike on a hot day in full pack and full uniform, and, and they were marching. They were marching the whole time in rhythm and cadence, and, and one of them in the middle of the pack, his head started bobbing. And he, he was going out. And without breaking cadence, the guy behind him picks, lengthens his step, grabs his helmet, pulls it off his head, and then gets back in line and bears that burden. And the guy next to him sidles over to him and and grabs his rifle and then gets back in line, never breaking stride. And the guy on the other side comes up behind him and and unsnaps his pack and lifts his pack off of him and never breaks stride. And they all come back together because if we're not going to come back together, we're not coming back at all. That's the church. Sometimes my head's going to bob. Three years ago, I went through a darkness um, I just never expected. And it got so bad that, it got so bad I asked for help. Shocking. Right? And what did I do? I went to the seven guys who over the last three months had sent me a text at one time or another saying, are you all right? And I responded to all seven of them, no, thanks for asking. And we got together and we started meeting because I couldn't do it alone. I needed someone to bear my burdens with me until I was healthy again. That's the church. That's what you're asked to be. Who are you? You are in Christ. What do you do? You love each other by bearing each other's burdens, by seeing needs and meeting them. How do you do it? In such a way to get people healthy so that they can carry their own pack. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that you didn't just come march alongside us, but you carried us. We were dead and you brought us to life. And Father, I pray we never forget who we are. That we are nothing and yet we are everything. What a great irony to live in. What a great paradox. We are nothing, but we're so loved. We're so loved. And out of that love, we have confidence and joy and peace and patience and endurance, faithfulness to love each other for a long time as we walk together toward glory. Enable us to be, Lord, what you've called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.